0: Welcome to another thrilling episode of bard talk uh i guess this is gonna be bard talk car talk episode three i don't know occasionally i talk about cars because if y'all haven't noticed i'm quite the motorhead so um and maybe not just cars this episode let's let's recap all of the old automotive industry news going on because frankly there's a lot um so For the people that know me in person, and for those of you who don't and listen to this and try to get to know me better, um, it's probably safe to say that I am a gearhead in America or a petrol junkie in the UK. Uh, Car people are car people, man. Like, we're we're ubiquitous with owning fascinating, different, unique automobiles, and, and I'm definitely in that category uh if if you think of a vehicle i've probably owned it or a variation of it or practically owned it so i have experience with a lot of automotive brands manufacturers makes Uh, i've done podcasts on getting ripped off on service service and and buying a cars and tips and tricks and i think today i'm just going to kind of riff off of some of the things going on um most importantly, and not that anybody cares, but I'm going to recap it anyways MotoGP is kicked off. <laughs> and I would imagine most people listening to this is like, "What the hell is MotoGP?" Well, when I was a child, um, most of my family was into ball-based sports. Football was the reigning supreme sport in my household, probably closely followed by baseball. And in an attempt to fit in, I kind of enjoyed those things. I'll be real honest, not a ball, but hockey was kind of always more interesting to me than football or baseball. Uh, football, I, I just, I've had my comments about it before. I, I don't, I'm just not a fan. I think it's kind of boring. Uh, I think the amount of money that flows in and out of it with the teams and how they strangle cities and put undue hardship on them. I mean, I know a lot of good comes out of it, but it's just not my cup of tea. Not that hockey doesn't have its own starred history of bad eggs and... Oh, well, thank you, Loud Car. Bad eggs and who knows what else going on. It's just that hockey, to me, is a much more interesting sport. Like, it, it is a teamwork sport that relies on people to beat other people up when you're losing and that's just funny to me so it's entertaining but my sport has always 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 been motorcycle racing um when i was a, a wee little tyke i used to watch a channel called speed and speed would show a wide variety, wide array variety was the word i was going for mix the two of Motorsports and one of them was World Superbike and World Superbike is basically the bikes you can buy at the dealership heavily breathed on by the factories and independent teams lightened up race fairings um, so sans headlights turn signals things of that nature Um, you know the coolant obviously isn't your standard coolant it's just a a water uh, concoction there but it's almost the bike you can go buy at the dealership. And you go out and you race them. And for the longest time, you know, I grew up in the era of, like, Troy Bayless and Colin Edwards. And watching those guys duke it out was amazing. And, of course, you know, I had this huge Italian influence on me. You know, my my dad and his family. So finding out that this wee little motorbike company in Bologna, Italy, that all they did was manufacture bikes was the dominant force in the sport and that you could go to your dealership and buy the bike that Troy Bayliss won the world championship on. I don't know, I guess it just appealed to me, you know. Um, I've owned Ducatis. I will own another Ducati. I think Ducati is one of the most fantastic brands in motorcycling. They're not the most comfortable, certainly not the most reliable, Absolutely, one of the most expensive bikes, maintenance and cost wise, that you could ever attempt to purchase. Um, but I love them. They're so amazing. I've had two, Barnum, my favorite bikes ever. If I had, if this podcast would generate for me, like, say, in the reins of $20,000, just like a one-top stop-pop shot, I'd be on a monster tomorrow. Uh, I love my monster. I love my 848 Evo which was a much more aggressive sport bike. I like a true, proper track bike. But my Monster was so much fun to tool around on. And it was it was a small one. It was a 696. Um, it had power equivalent to like an inline twin 500cc bike. Maybe a little bit more torque, which made it fun to, to ride, more fun to ride. But it just was a fantastic bike. So trying to circle back with this, um, yeah, I watched World Superbike, fell in love with the brand, Troy Bayless out of Australia, was an amazing rider, great personality, um, and then he crossed over to MotoGP, I followed him over to MotoGP, and about that time, uh, uh, probably the biggest monolith the sport's ever seen was getting started, and that was Valentino Rossi, um, there's been others, and I know that I'm, I'm spitting out names that like nobody knows, but these riders helped form the sports, respectively. I don't think there's a bigger name in motorcycle racing than Valentino Rossi. And he was just uh, an amazing tour de force. Um, it's rare, about once every decade or so, you watch a rider actually change the sport change the way the bikes are ridden and valentino rossi was that guy um i i really kind of missed out on some of the more famous uh battles i mean i'm i've watched the older races i'm knowledgeable about Rainey and doing and all of the guys the predecessors that led to valentino rossi's ascent but i mean for him for me he was the guy uh I watched other guys in it. Of course, when Nikki Hayden won the world championship in MotoGP in 2006, I lost my mind because, you know, he's an American and the story that year, that story was just so beautiful. You couldn't really write it. Like if you tried to write the story of Nikki Hayden's win, it it would, it would come off forced and cheesy, but it actually played out in such a beautiful way. And, um, it, there's a sense of pride when american an american goes over to europe and heads it off with the 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 best those other countries have and they play the star spangled banner and like you know you're your, your guy won like it's it's amazing um it's such a beautiful sport and every season the story is so complex and there's so many factors in it and even if you don't like a specific guy, you end up cheering for him at the end when he wins because you, they just strip away so much of themselves to do so. So, and I'll say this, you know, last year, COVID, 2020, it, it affected everything. I mean, it, it put off the Olympics, for Christ's sake. So MotoGP, uh, we weren't even sure we were going to get a season. We did end up getting a season. It was mostly a European season with a lot of doubles at the same tracks. And the main protagonist for the last nine years, eight years, has been Marc Marquez. And on the very first race, Marquez um, went out, dominant force, and he ended up wrecking in a traumatic fashion that broke his humerus, so his upper arm bone. And, and it snapped it, and he had a plate put on. And, of course, half of the racing is mind games with the other riders, so he's posting photos of doing, like, push-ups and all kinds of stupid stuff. And he ended up bending the metal plate that got put into him. And then he had a subsequent bone infection and other subsequent uh, operations. He actually had uh, part of a bone graft from his hip put onto his humerus to help heal his humerus. And he missed the whole season, and he missed the first two races this year. Um, And now he's going to be coming back this weekend. So it'll be interesting to see if he comes back as that dominant force or if there's just a little bit of fear. And, And that's truly all it takes. You're talking about prototype motorcycles that achieve speeds of 300. I think 336 is the current speed record on a MotoGP. It's insanely fast for two wheels for a contact patch the size of a credit card on the circuit. And these guys are braking from 330 kilometers an hour and they're dropping back to like, you know, 100, 107. Um, and I know you're probably wondering, well, what's the, motor- the MPG? I-, I don't know what the miles per hour equivalent is exactly. I believe 336 kilometers is in the realms of like 223 to maybe 230, 232 miles per hour. It's up there, it's insanely fast. And to go that fast and then to almost come to a stop to drop down to like 50 miles per hour and then lean at 60 degrees into a turn is insanity. If you've never watched a MotoGP race or and even if you don't care, just go on YouTube do a, a cursory search for MotoGP and just watch. It's, it's, God, it's, it's beautiful. The colors are beautiful. It's such an amazing thing. And I've, I've been blessed. I've gone to two MotoGP races in the States here and it's carnival. It's such a celebration of life and the sport and death and, and the struggle. And it's just beautiful. And like, you know, I will go to baseball games. I won't watch baseball on TV. I'll go to baseball games because I enjoy the, the collective atmosphere, but nothing will ever touch a MotoGP race. It's just, it's its own world. So that's, that's exciting. Um, in other automotive news, uh, I've owned Jeeps my whole life, practically. I've been a Jeep guy. I, I've owned Jeeps, like, uh, you know, since I was at least... 17 and they are ubiquitous with being expensive. Um, their resale values like never drop off. Tough off road, um, just monster, monster machines truly monster machines. Uh, Jeep as a brand started in 1943. Uh, and, and the original name was the American Motor Corporations. Of course they are ubiquitous with the military because that is literally one of the first things they threw out there. Um, they created a vehicle during World War II as a troop carrier, as a utility vehicle, as a medevac, as a gunship. Like The, the, the original uh, Willys design was just fantastic, and it was adopted by many countries. That went on to become a civilian market in the line of the CJ's. And then, you know, Jeep did some other stuff. They made um, Cherokees. They made Wagoneers and Grand Wagoneers. And they've had other little trucks pop up here and there. And it's funny, they're probably one of the most recognized brand there ever has been, maybe ever will be. People who don't even know what a Jeep is will call their SUV a Jeep. And it, it's just that's how ubiquitous with being an off-road, tough SUV. That's just the heart and nature of what they are. So I was working in a garage at the time, and I just noticed like when people would bring their jeeps in, like the parts were dirt cheap. back in, in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, you, could, you could get brake pads for like 25 bucks. You get a water pump for40 dollars like the parts for these things were insanely cheap, and that's just because Jeep had merged with Chrysler at that point, and um, Chrysler was on the precipice of merging with um, Daimler-Benz, which would be disastrous in the long run, but they just used the same parts, like everything had the same parts, and so they mass-produced them, and because they were built right here in the States, there wasn't a shipping cost, they were just insanely cheap, and i i was a kid i I was working at a garage i worked at mcdonald's and having a vehicle that i know if it broke i could go to the local auto parts store and for less than a hundred bucks replace practically everything but the engine jeep vehicles aren't the most reliable they have done things that are silly they've done stupid things um They've battered me and made me bleed on multiple occasions, but you can practically take one apart with a 13mm socket and some WD-40. Yeah, they're synonymous with rust. Yeah, they've used questionable combos. I think the biggest biggest criticism of Jeep pre-FCA is that Jeeps have always been overbuilt, underpowered, and gas-guzzling off-road monoliths. Um, On-road, they're not the softest handling. They're not the, the most fuel-efficient SUV. Um, and then when it comes to the larger things, yeah, they, they drink fuel like nobody's business. I think even the Cherokees and the, the CJs and YJs that ran the little four-cylinder engines never quite achieved even, you know, 20 miles per gallon. So you have to take that into consideration. But all things being equal, I was willing to trade that rougher ride, that noisier ride, that fuel consumption for something that, you know, I could go out and fix on, on the low cheap. A water pump, you know, thermostats were like 12 bucks. Like it just, they didn't take a lot. Um, and with their merger with Daimler Chrysler, parts got a little bit more expensive. They got a little bit more over-engineered. Um, They did get better. I think Daimler Chrysler improved the manufacturing process tenfold. I think the issue was Mercedes wanted to make a Mercedes Jeep and a Mercedes Jeep didn't have cheap parts and things were overly complicated and they required special tools and it made a vehicle so ubiquitous with its ease of maintenance difficult and people didn't like that. Um, when the stock market crashed in '06 and '08, uh, Daimler Chrysler or Daimler Chrysler split ways, um, and Fiat picked up Chrysler, and became FCA, and Fiat, not known for reliability, not known for ingenuity, came in and and like really cherished this brand, really cherished Jeep, really took the platform and said, listen we love you and we're going to show that love in unique and fantastic ways. And so, you know, they partnered with reliable companies and they created products that fix the weak points in the Daimler Chrysler era. So the transmissions were notoriously bad in the Daimler Chrysler area and Fiat partnered with a German brand well-known for making uh, transmissions and spit them out. And those eight speeds are bulletproof. Um, even the manual transmissions got a lot better. Although I'll say I always loved the, the AX, which I believe were Aisin, which was a, a Japanese brand. I always thought the Aisin transmissions were pretty bulletproof. It wasn't really until they switched to new process. Um, and like the, the TJ new process transfer cases and transmissions were pretty good. But then they had this weird string of, I don't, I don't know where. They went to some German brand and they were just clunky and not too, not the greatest. Bulletproof, absolutely bulletproof, but just clunky and not fun to shift. Um, but that being said, like, they're, they're it's so much fun owning a Jeep. It's so much fun. Um, a while back, I had, I've had every iteration. So I've had CJs, YJs. TJ's um, and a JK. I haven't had the new JL, but I've had every iteration of the Wrangler, so to speak. And my JK was perfect. Uh, you know, I did all the work myself. It was lifted. It had, it had rip rear and axles with, with lockers. And I know I'm speaking a lot of car gibberish. Nobody understands, but like, it just, it was so beautiful. It was so pretty. If you follow me on Instagram, I posted a couple of pictures on it. Definitely on my Twitter. It was one of my favorite vehicles I've ever owned. And I feel full having sold it. But, you know, life is about transition, change. I had my time with that vehicle. I gave it to somebody who's going to enjoy it That past that and so on and so forth. And I moved on. So I got a, a, I got an 05 Grand Cherokee Limited. And this is their flagship uh grand cherokee with all the luxury features it had a 4.7 v8 big torquey motor not the biggest i could have gotten the hemi but i couldn't find one in my price range and yeah it was it was a good vehicle um it had a head gasket leak um and and some of the other finer things didn't work because it had a ton of miles on it um But I loved it. It was it was a good Jeep. It was just a good it ran. It ran. It drank gas like I think I got 11 maybe 12 miles per gallon if I stayed off the skinny pedal. Uh, But it ran. It ran great. Uh, It wasn't the flashiest thing I've ever driven. It wasn't my favorite thing. But it ran. Um, And my brother came to me this year and he was just like hey man I need something to pull my boat. I need something that I can get mom in and out of. I need something I can go to work when it snows. I need something reliable. And you've always had Jeeps, and they've always treated you well. And, and he actually, he did replace the exhaust manifold gasket. He just did a shit job at it, and it leaked again. And probably because the manifold gaskets, and this is, I'm not going to beat up Jeep. I know a lot of people will, but I'm going to throw every manufacturer under the bus for this one. The federal government in America has an emission standard, and that emission standard has to be met at cold start. There's no warm-up period, so in order to get a vehicle in America to pass um, California smog emissions and and the the overall requirement for emissions, you have to have a catalytic converter right up against the exhaust manifold. It has to be within like a foot or so give or take a couple inches and that warms up those elements and what those elements do is there's a honeycomb in there and it contains trace amounts of platinum and that platinum when exposed to CO converts that CO to water vapor. If you want more information on that google it your damn self that's just a synapses. So the issue with American cars, and it's across the line, I don't care who makes it, is you have to make an exhaust manifold and stick a cat, like, a foot off of it, and there's nowhere to mount any sort of holders, there's no way to mount anything to account for this weight, so what happens when you heat up metal and cool it down is it's constantly expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting, and things break, um... In, in the Grand Cherokee, if you own any vehicle with a 4.7 V8 oh, that is made by Chrysler, you're going to get a warped exhaust manifold. So the actual headers coming off the engine are going to warp, and they usually snap bolts. Chrysler is aware of this. Every manufacturer deals with it. Um, they have a service bulletin to grind down the surface of the exhaust manifold to, to true it up. And then you redo the manifold uh, um, gasket and then it it, it works. Now my brother didn't grind it down and true it up so he just slapped it back on all broken and of course it developed a leak again. Um, It's not the end of the world. It's not going to cause many problems. You can drive your car forever like that. It's just, it's just it's annoying. It makes a ticking sound and in my case like a loud gargling sound. And you know it's the way it is. And again... Every manufacturer deals with this. Every engine deals with this. You might not see it as much on transverse motors because little four cylinders or motors that are put into the engine base sideways and then coupled to a transaxle instead of an actual transmission. Those vehicles run those exhaust manifolds in a way that they can be braced and supported. And so you get that a little bit less. Also, the pressures in V6s and V4s, or inline 6s and inline 4s, is a lot less than in a V8. Um, The heat's a lot less, so you tend to not stress them as much. So all that being said, um, the vehicle was fine. Um, I had one issue lately where I think the the control module for the transfer case, because it was an all-wheel drive. All V8 Grand Cherokees were all-wheel drive. It just has a, a transfer case that divides the power based on need. Um, and in my case, my transfer case had a low. So it had four high and four low. And the control module for four low went out. So I had to replace that. But I mean, those are, those are things that, again, it's a Jeep. It was, it was 100, 150 bucks I think, to replace that module. It shifts like a dream. Um, no issues. And that, that particular Grand Cherokee had lockers front and rear, like a little electronic lockers. So it, it truly was a fantastic Jeep. And I, I, even with the high mileage, even with like some of the things not working out perfectly, like the heated driver's seat never really got super warm as it was supposed to. I, I suspect the coil was going out. The, the temperature control module I wouldn't say was bulletproof. It definitely uh, it definitely kind of didn't keep the car at a perfect temperature, but it blew cold AC. You know, you just had to play with the knobs. And, and the amplifier for the stereo went out, so I was listening to music uh, via headset while I was driving. <laughs> but those are things that I, when, you, when you spend $2,500 for a vehicle and it's that good you count your blessings, Uh, especially an SUV. It's not like I went out and bought a a little people mover. I I got a pretty complex premium SUV with a lot of Mercedes technology and it kind of is what it is. So my lifestyle requires me, uh, to be able to move in all weather, to be able to move, uh, with freedom, in, in any type of, of weather, you know? And I got to say, like, I, I love my Charger. It's just it sucks driving in the rain, let alone driving it in the snow. Um, it's not a vehicle that I want to put all the miles on. So I went hunting for, for another SUV. Uh, I was happy to help my brother out. I'm always happy to help my family out. But it was a loss that I really... I'm gonna miss that it was a good truck it was a good SUV I'm sorry so I went searching um, and and I, I kinda of landed on wanting one of three things of course I I wanted another Grand Cherokee this time I wanted the Hemi V8 because if I'm gonna get 11 miles per gallon what's 10 and why not have a Hemi power you know I think the difference is the 47 put out like 230 horsepower and, like, 245 pound-feet of torque, but, like, the Hemi put out 260 horsepower, 300 pound-feet of torque, um, and I wanted that, because I'm I'm a gearhead, I I just, I love power, I don't know, get off my back, whatever, um, and then the other vehicles I had in mind was a post-2005 Nissan Xterra, I really wanted one of those, um, and then there was one, like, in the back of my mind, that I didn't even think I would be able to find because they're so ubiquitous with longevity and ridiculous. I do truly mean ridiculous resale values, and that's a Toyota 4Runner. So I went hunting and I found a couple Nissan Xteras, a few Pathfinders in that that date range, which essentially are the same vehicle. And I went and looked at them, and you know, it just for for twenty five hundred dollars thirty five. I think my limit was four thousand. I wasn't going to get one with low mileage, which is fine. They're both vehicles that can last well into 200,000 miles. It's not going to be my main, my main squeeze. So to say, I just needed to go to the firehouse and back and, and for rough weather. So, um, I just ran into issues. You know, I, it was a couple days ago last week. I went to go look at this Xterra. It was no eight, uh, 210,000 miles, which I know shock and all lots. But it was, I was told it was in good condition, and the only mentioned issues were the mileage, and it had a rusty rear bumper, which if you don't know, the exteriors are one of those few vehicles that have a steel rear bumper, and I was excited about that. So I thought, well, I can replace the rear bumper, take care of any other little issues with it, shan't be a problem. And I went up and looked at it, and it, the brake pedal went to the floor. Even though it had new rear calipers, it looked like it needed rotors. It looked like the pads weren't changed, which if you're going to do all of the work for the calipers, why would you not change the pads, man? And it probably had an issue with the ABS. There was probably an issue there. Uh, it was thrown a cell, and it also had an issue with the horn and the airbag. And regardless of whatever vehicle you choose, airbags are big money. They're expensive they're they're difficult to repair a lot of times you have to have a professional reinstall it or you know you can run into issues with titles or inspection it's just it's a pain in the butt you're gonna to have to reset something major with the ECU so it's advised you get a professional to install it that said um, I passed on it and it was just by luck I was driving home my friend was looking at Facebook marketplace He found an 0-3-4 runner with 172,000 miles, and the guy ripped apart the front drive shaft. So I was like, oh, cool, see if you can get a number. I got his number. I called him. He said he had five people coming to see it that night, and if it didn't sell, he'd let me know the next day. So I just threw it out there. I was like, man, I got two grand grand cash. If you want to be two grand richer, I'll take this thing off your sales. I live 20 minutes away. He told me to show up. And oh boy, did that kick off a storm because I was the first one there. I had it running. I was looking around at it. Yeah, the front drive shaft, right at the connection for the front pumpkin, had, had completely been obliterated. My guess is he never serviced the U joints. The U joints seized up and it sheared off. Um, it was a little bit of damage to the transmission hull, nothing horrible. A um, little bit of damage to the exhaust. Yeah, nothing horrible but to him it was undrivable because he doesn't know how to fix cars to me I just had to pull a front drive shaft and so I did and uh, I now own a Toyota 4Runner and it's a rusty piece of s like it's it's in rough condition it's not the greatest vehicle I've ever bought but there's just something about it and if you don't know anything about Toyotas Toyota Toyota is a corporation. Uh, that was founded in 1937. And they have been manufacturing extremely reliable vehicles. Uh, To say that Toyota is as ubiquitous with reliability as Jeep is with off-road performance is almost an understatement. Like, they're that good. Toyota is that good. They over-engineer everything. There's some quirks. There's things that I don't like about the Toyotas. Um, one is that their entertainment systems are, even brand new, a 2020 4Runner with its infotainment system, doesn't hold a candle to the UConnect system that's in my Charger, or or uh, newer Grand Cherokees. Like they they don't have that on par. Their styling is very dated, almost instantly. Um, but they run, they over-engineer the good parts. The drivetrain on this thing is solid. Now, in my particular instance, uh, I know that it's the, the V8s, which are a, a millimeter off being the most perfect engine ever made, are synonymous with cracked exhaust manifolds because they suffer from the same issue that every American car has to. And I know you're saying, well, Toyota's Japanese. They are. Um, I have the shipping papers that, that came with my vehicle. I have the original window sticker, which is really cool. Um, and, and it is it is going to be difficult to fix some of these things, but that motor's perfect. And the transfer case cracked during it. My guess is, again, the V8s are all-wheel drive with a four low and a four high. The little actuator that locks the differential... And also switches between four high and four low is known to leak. It rattles, vibrates, does what it needs to do, backs out of alignment, the seals go bad, whatever, and they leak. And when they leak, they heat up. When they heat up, um, you tend to get binding. I don't know that that was the issue in this one. I had thought so, but upon taking it home, pulling the drive shaft, and looking at it, I truly believe that the front U-joint just bound up. Um, For me to explain how a U-joint works on a podcast in any palpable way that you could understand would cause everybody to tune out. But if you can imagine two crosses that are joined on their axes, more or less, and at the ends of the, the crosses are rollers so that the joint can swivel... And that joint does this dance as it spins where it constantly swivels so every time you go over a bump it has to change its degree of departure and departure and it causes swivel and it's supposed to swivel freely and if you do something like say oh not grease it or you don't replace it when it starts clunking and making noises in a shot it'll bind and if it binds and catches things just at the right angle It'll rip itself apart and then your drive shaft's flopping around. And my guess is it happened to him while he was going at significant speed just because of the marks on the transmission, the marks on the exhaust. Um, And he ended up cracking the transfer case, which bravo, man, like that's that's not easy. Oddly enough, the transfer case works. It spins like I pulled the drive shaft off and I drove it. Now, it's leaking fluid everywhere, and that's undesirable and could lead to catastrophic failure. But I have a new one ordered. And this is one of those things where owning a vehicle and knowing how to work on them is incredibly useful because I'm probably going to go out there today, slap a bunch of JB Weld, which is like this thick, goopy... it's, It's glue. It's metal glue. I don't know how else to describe it. I'm going to metal glue the crack shut so it doesn't leak as much. I still expect it to leak. Fill the transfer case up and I'm going to drive it in two wheel drive until my new transfer case comes in. Then the hard part will actually start where I have to take out the old one and put the new one in. But sans all of that, I'm going to have a vehicle that is going to last 300,000 miles without any real qualms. Like these things are legendary. They have no issues. Um, Frame rust, obviously. And the things I mentioned before. I'm going to have to do something with the exhaust. I'm going to have to do something with the frame. The frame has some holes um, from rust. Nothing serious. Just things where I can treat it with a rust converter. It's literally a fluid that converts rust into solid matter. And then paint over it. And then when that's taken care of, um, there's one spot I'm gonna have to have repaired by a frame specialist. So they're gonna have to cut the rust area out and actually weld in a plate. That might cost me 300 bucks. Um, The rust converter spray is probably $20 for all the supplies that I'll need. Uh, The transfer case was $1,000. That was the big gulp thing. Um, And as far as the exhaust goes, even with it leaking like Swiss cheese, it's not throwing any check engine codes. So I'm probably just going to go up to the cats and straight pipe the thing and call it a day. Um, If it doesn't throw any codes, I really don't have to worry about anything. And it's an old enough vehicle. I'm going to put less than 5,000 miles on it. It's going to be emissions exempt anyways. And if everybody's you know, seriously upset that I'm harming the environment or blah, 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 blah. I'm going to throw this rebuttal out there real quick. I took a 2003 vehicle, a vehicle made in 2003 that has seen two owners and numerous life events, and I've recycled it. So all of the carbon to create that vehicle has now served four people. Well, it will serve its fourth person shortly. And it's never impacted the environment again. The minor emissions that come out from a very efficient V8 is peanuts compared to how much a new car impacts the environment, how much carbon negative the production of a new vehicle is. So yes, it is not the cleanest, greenest vehicle in a fleet of hyper-electric cars. No doubt about that. And I could do a whole episode on my thoughts on electric versus gasoline if you want that go to Twitter go to Instagram comment about this episode and say hey man I am curious about electric vehicles what are your thoughts I'll give them to you um, but that vehicle uh, the catalytic converters are going to continue to convert a portion of that CO into water that's not going to change mufflers only are used to quiet engines and I don't care about that. Um, it does nothing for the emissions. It's literally noise. Um, so that's kind of how that's gonna be. I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna fix it on the cheap. I'm just gonna get somebody to weld in straight pipe and call her a day. Will she be really loud? Nah, it's a Toyota V8. They're relatively tame compared to my 6.4 liter Hemi. If I want loud, that's that's the vehicle. And I've owned louder, like believe it or not. So. Yeah, to say I'm excited is an understatement. Um, I really enjoy projects, and it helps when you have mechanical capabilities to work on these kind of things. And, you know, that's why I do these car podcasts every once in a while. I don't go through and explain a repair or anything like that. I just hope that perhaps my excitement my explanations for the things i look for for a vehicle you might get you asking questions um i would have no problem if somebody reached out to me and was just like hey you know what do you think about this vehicle i'm thinking about buying it and i'll give you my honest opinions on them and that you know whenever you're trying to buy a vehicle regardless of your capability you just understand the complexities of that specific one there are vehicles that in and are very costly to repair, whether you have the capability or not, you know. I, I would love to have a Porsche Cayenne, but even with my ability to repair them, I understand that the Porsche Cayenne is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to cost of just parts. Mercedes-Benz, BMW, I mean, I've owned a BMW. I, I loved my 740IL, but it was like $1,000 starting point when you had to repair something and i think for most people that's kind of untenable is it a great car would i recommend an early 2000s bmw knowing they're plagued with issues uh i would inform people of what they're they're getting into i'm a big fan of the minis and mini is owned by bmw and you would think that the mini would inherently be a very reliable good well engineered vehicle and I'm not going to say that it isn't to an extent, but they are they have known problems, they have known issues, and those issues are even more costly to repair because of the heritage and pedigree of the vehicle. I don't that doesn't turn me off. You know, I, I wanted a Land Rover. I really wanted a Land Rover. I wanted a Land Cruiser. Um, these vehicles are high end luxury SUVs and they are very expensive to repair. I'm not daunted by that because I know that based on my capabilities and the parts available for them in the aftermarket, there there are certain models that I would avoid, but for the most part, very fixable, very drivable, you can get them to last. Are they going to last like a Toyota? Probably not. Um but that's kind of why I I chose To get this, even with its inherent problems, I chose this vehicle because Toyota is one of those over-engineered vehicles. A Jeep is one of those over-engineered vehicles. There are parts on Jeeps that are absolutely bulletproof. A lot of the engine designs are absolutely bulletproof. Um, You know, the straight sixes that they put in the Wranglers and Cherokees from like, I don't know, 64 until 2006... Are, are again a shade off of perfect. Do they have a lot of power? No, they mostly make torque. You don't need a lot of power when you're off-road and that vehicle is so specifically aimed at going off-road it doesn't matter. Are the transmission options great? Uh, not really. Um, in later years the Wranglers are a great option but they don't have the, the straight six. They upgraded to a 3.8 and there's Model years of Wranglers, specifically JKs, that I would tell you to avoid. And I even owned one in that period. And I can tell you all of the heartache and issues that I had with it. Um, It wasn't a trouble-free, hassle-free experience. Was it one of the better experiences I've had? Sure. Um, A lot of the things that I did was a labor of love. And some of it was just a labor of pain in the ass. But for sure, all of those vehicles have their place. Um, You know, if I were to put Jeep and Toyota head to head and you held a gun to my head and said, pick one Jeep all day, every day, only because I know how to work on them inside and out. I also like that when it comes to Jeep, they did a lot of sourcing for their parts, you know, even when owned by Daimler Benz, Mercedes and Chrysler combination, even when owned by FCA. Um, they never had the capabilities to mass produce all of their internals. So, a lot of the parts were made by known good manufacturers. Dana Corp was a big, big player when it came to Jeeps. Um, new process, new variants, the new transmissions, which they call them torque flights. But I'm pretty sure that's just their in-house branding, and they're all made by a company called ZF Friedrichshafen. Schaff Schafen, they're German. It's it's a leftover from the Daimler Chrysler merger. There, um, in this case, the ZF eight speeds uh, were used originally in the BMW. I think 760 Li's, um, the V12s, and so on, but it's it's a german company that solely makes transmissions and that's one thing that jeep is really good at is they go out and they source parts they source transfer cases they source axles bigger companies like ford oftentimes use internal uh parts so you know they might have a sterling rear end on some of their pickup trucks but ford owns sterling they're still making it in-house Uh, their transmissions made in-house GM's the same way large large mass production plants found it cheaper to source their stuff in-house so then instead of just making the chassis or the engine or whatever they always they just make the whole thing whereas Jeep has done a lot of sourcing Um, even the the, I just previously warned you about the the 07 to 2012 Wranglers they had a 3.8 liter v6 that was made i think by trent motorworks and you know not the best motor but they also put them in their minivans and uh, a couple other cars and suvs and it was again a reliable motor i mean chain driven one of the best you could get but it just was low on power they drank oil uh, issues with the catalytic system some, some minor wear items, you know, intakes and sorts, sort of things like that. Uh, but Toyota is another large manufacturer. It's one of the largest in Japan. And because of that nature, they make everything in house. And so it's harder to find the specifics to that. You almost have to get a service manual for that vehicle for that year. And then you have to read down the list and all of the codes come back to Toyota internal manufacturing. They're not sourcing their parts from other big players. They're making everything in-house. I I don't know where I stand on that. You know, obviously Toyota's track record says they know what they're doing. They do a really good job at it. Nobody complains about them. So they're good parts. Uh, The American manufacturers have traditionally not done a great job by creating multiple parts of the vehicle you know uh if you go all the way back to the beginning it was such a hodgepodge you know a lot of the automatic automotive manufacturers would even source the carriage and it was just a carriage company that would make the body and then they would slap their own logos on it and so on and so forth so it's i'm not saying one's better than the other. But it is easier to look up things on a Jeep. It's easier to work on things for a Jeep. It's easier to source parts. You There's a larger aftermarket support. Uh, less so for some of the newer stuff. So like the new Grand Cherokees. It's going to be more difficult to source aftermarket parts for. Uh, the Renegades, the Compasses, the Patriots. Those lower end Jeep mo- uh, subsidiaries are going to be difficult to source parts. I think that... Of them, the Compass might have the largest aftermarket support, but really the aftermarket support for the Grand Cherokees and the Wranglers especially. I mean, Wranglers are the Barbie houses of vehicles. They are the easiest things in the world to work on. They are the easiest things to source parts on. They're super friendly to the user. Um, I, I'd love to have a Wrangler again. My, my limitation or my reasoning for not getting a Wrangler again is just that I don't know, I couldn't afford another auto loan. I have too many other cogs right now. My finances really weren't open to that suggestion. So I couldn't get the Jeep that I want. And I didn't want to settle for getting one that I had. So maybe I could have found like a cheap TJ or YJ for sure. Uh, Maybe even back into a CJ. But living with them long term and in the winter and dealing with uh care that just wasn't performed on those things it's it's a pain and I've been there and I've done that and I'll be honest this is the first Toyota I've ever earned and maybe in a year's worth time I'm gonna come back on the podcast and be like rubbish it's garbage everybody's full of shit I don't know what they're talking about these things suck uh but I'm guessing probably not I'm thinking I'm gonna enjoy this um I'm just excited to learn something new my mind thrives off of the different, and the the change, and the new, and this is one vehicle um, I've never directly owned, you know, I've, I, I, and I don't I want to use the word co-owned, but I've worked on and fixed a lot of Japanese sedans, like Nissans, um, and Toyotas, I've worked on Volkswagens, and Fords, and I have my favorites, I have my least favorites, I I, I don't like sedans, I, they're garbage cars to me but um I've never owned a Toyota SUV and I'm super excited and I guess that's about it that's that's the goings-on that's that's some car talk I talked about motorcycles I'm sure everybody is wondering why I'm not talking about the George Floyd case why I'm not delving into any of the other things going on um I I don't know what to say that doesn't sound like an excuse I think my issue is I'm so embroiled in so many things right now that I just don't have time to keep my finger on the pulse of things. And I feel like my commentary would be uneducated and unearned. And I I really, really want to get Clayton back on. And I want to talk to Clayton. And I've been trying to make plans with Steph and, and try to get some familiar voices on here to do a podcast with. Um, but, you know, everybody's busy. I, I'm particularly busy, and I understand that, you know, nobody's making any money off of this. This is all kind of for fun, and, and I love the hell out of it. But it does come with uh, its series of letdowns and setbacks, and this is kind of the way things are. It's not that I'm not interested in these things. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anybody to feel like I was just doing it to get ratings or that it was a hot-button issue. It's just, I want to pay those topics respect. I want to give those areas of life the the adulation that they deserve, the, the kind of intense conversation that can only really be brought about by bringing people in to discuss it with you. And so I, mean, I haven't stalemated by any means. It's just you know, the early part of this year is, is kind of been a little more looser and, and more about me and, and my stuff and what I have going on. And that's just, that's my life right now. That's the things that are driving me. So I appreciate everybody who listens. Um, please share, reach out to me. Let me know if you hate these car podcasts or if you like them, if maybe they help you, maybe my reasoning behind things is something that you agree with or, or, you know, at least, uh, you enjoy my take uh, if not also come come beat me up jeez give me some feedback good or bad I don't care I'm always looking for feedback so I hope everybody has a good week stay safe and uh, you know we're winding winding down the mid part of April we're staring at May pretty soon the weather gets really nice I can't wait I, I, I'm a, a baby of summer I love warm weather And I can't just uh, sit by idly too much longer. So thank you all. Peace out.